Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard with me and Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we talk about athletes crossing over to different sports. Uh, we've recently seen uh, Luke Rockhold move from MMA to grappling to fight Nick Rodriguez. We have uh, Gordon Ryan uh, crossing over kind of to fight um, a wrestler. And uh, there's been a few of these going on now. And, you know, we have him obviously from MMA to boxing with Conor McGregor. So we talk about the implications of that. And then we move on to seasonal training, particularly with MMA athletes who will prep up for a fight, do like a 10-week camp and then disappear for 10 weeks and come back in. And we talk about the long-term consequences of that to their growth in the sport. Uh, We then uh, tackle the age-old myth of have not having sex before a fight because it weakens your legs. And we, we give our breakdowns on that with science. And we then move on to learning how to lose, particularly when you're in training and not always playing your A game. And uh, some of our favorite BS techniques that actually work. So this was a really fun episode. Uh, a lot of laughs in this one. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Go ahead and take a listen. Before we get started, We'd like to mention one of our sponsors, which is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. DrysdaleBJJOnline.com is Robert's online virtual academy. I've been telling him for a while that he should have one because he's such an excellent coach with a lot of information to share. So he got one put together for you guys. Uh, he has The way he has it structured is, is different than uh, a regular membership site where you're paying for a monthly access. His, he's offering multiple courses. They're all bite-sized courses, starting as low as $9.99. Most of them are $10.99. It's a really good deal. You'll, you'll learn uh, courses such as Nine Fundamental Mount Escapes. You have Top 10 Attacks from the Turtle, uh, Top 10 Guard Passes. So there's structure like this, so you can just quickly pick something up, learn it right away, and uh, start working on it in class and in training. So it's... Uh, Excellent idea, and I think the, the content there is, is superb, great value. So if you haven't, go ahead and check out DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. Hey, what's going on? David Avalon here with Robert Drysdale for another edition of the Breaking the Guard podcast. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I had a great day today, and uh, yeah, can't complain. Nice. Yeah. My my days have been starting off kind of rocky. <laughs> well, you just moved too, so that's gotta be a pain in the butt. Yeah, no, like I had posted the other day with my with my girlfriend. Uh, she had brought this protective case for her tablet. She had yeah. one of those Microsoft Goes, and she has the case already, but she got like the screen covers so yeah. they don't scratch. And while she was trying to put that on. She had to take off the case, so it's just a regular tablet. And as she's putting the thing, the thing slips, falls on the floor, cracks. Not fun. No, and I think the, the irony is that she was trying to protect it more. Yeah, <laughs> and destroyed yes. it in the process. Yeah, <laughs> she just stormed off. Oh, <laughs> and like insured. And sometimes you get like the kind of like protection. She was like a month after. Oh no. Because she bought it like a, on October last year, and then. Poof, you gotta be so careful. I can't yeah. catch my kids running around with their iPads. For some reason, they want to take the case yeah. out of the case. I don't understand why they do that. Like, I bought you a case for a reason, but they pull it out of the case, 
and they're running around with it. I'm like, you know, if you break that iPad, I'm not going to get you. Don't worry, Daddy. It won't break if I drop it. I've dropped it plenty of times. I'm just like looking down like, ah, you know, but yeah, it's just price you pay for awesome technology, I suppose. Yeah. It's not that durable. Most definitely. But uh, in today's starting topic, I wanted to bring up, there's a lot more sport crossovers happening these days like in we've seen like in the ufc with connor you have boxers yeah crossing over and particularly connor crossing over into boxing yes we've uh seen now uh was it uh nicky ryan not nicky ryan i'm sorry nick rodriguez crossover and to wrestling he, to wrestling well, he comes from wrestling he comes from really, wrestling yeah. yeah so it's not as much but now you got gordon doing a wrestling crossover with bo nichols yes for the rest but now it's the kind of it's a grappling match, but there, I think there's no leg locks, and there's they some modify other. The they modify a little yeah. bit. I think it's interesting. I, I I like what they're doing is that they're they're kind of trying to change things up a little because we've had the same for so long, and it does get a little monotonous because you have the same. A lot of times, if you're familiar with the rule set and you're familiar with the players, you know, if you're an experienced grappler, you already know what's going to happen. Like I, I have a good idea what's going to happen. Like I call this stuff. You, you're right. If you know grappling, you know that if you have Luke Rockhold and Nick Rodriguez on one side, you know it's going to be a stand-up match. Yeah, you know, it's probably gonna go decision. You know, oh, that's another one that happened. Yeah, yeah like yeah. so that you get this. But I think it's interesting that they. I've always liked when MMA guys make the crossover to uh, grappling. Although I think that they do much better when they cross over to grappling than when grapplers cross over MMA without that experience. Yeah, right. Yeah, or strikers yeah. for that matter, right? Because MMA guys, they're kind of like that, well versed in every area. They're outstanding athletes, and they're well versed in at least fundamentally, at least in everything, right? So, you know, it's easier for a McGregor to go boxing than it is for a Floyd Mayweather to go MMA. Yeah, because, 100%. And this is why I'm such a fan of MMA, because MMA is the art that really brings together, you know, like the best of all worlds. And one thing that I, I think a lot of people miss out on is that when, when, you, when you specialize in something, whether it's jiu-jitsu, wrestling, the more you specialize, the harder it gets to progress because you're less and less challenged. And at some point, you're reaching the limitations of what your body can do and maybe even what your mind can do. Yeah. Right? So you start slowing. So your progress as a white belt is very fast, blue belt fast, purple belt, brown, black. And black is the one you progress the least because I think you're like making small, uh, shorter progress. Yeah. Um, whereas an MMA fighter, he's got so many areas to work on. He grows in all those areas very fast. Right, even though he's specialized, he's probably not most most of the time not specialized in any of them. But I, it's, I think that that explains why, and like Luke Rockhold can hang with any high level grappler, but if you put that high level grappler in a cage with Luke Rockhold, you get demolished. Yeah, for sure. You know the, like you said, MMA just has so many things to work on that. Uh, I was listening to an interview with uh, I think it was Joe Rogan was interviewing Farhad Sahabi. And I think Joe asked him, how long do you like your fighters to have a break, you know, and in his words, fuck off after yeah. a fight. He's like, no more than two weeks. It's because there's so much technique that they have to learn that if you took a month off, there was so many techniques that you've lost yeah. the opportunity to learn in those two weeks, in, you know, in, the, in that month or in the six weeks or whatnot. You know, so he's like, I want my guys always learning. It's a learning, it's yeah. a learning art. It's not, it's not just running. That's what he said. Like, yeah. especially in MMA, it's like one position can win you the whole fight. Yeah. You know, that was a very good point. You know, like the guys I feel uh, do best are always in shape. They're always training. You know, like you're there. You have to learn how to peak, of course. Yeah. But I mean, like as far as like being at the gym. 
you don't just disappear and then oh fight camp comes up now i put my six eight ten and weeks whatever it is you know that's always been my biggest peeve training mma fighters is that they they take two months off to go to hawaii and it's like they come back when they have another fight and all they do is get in shape which they'll get in shape in you know six weeks or whatever right you get yeah. in shape you know these guys are very disciplined they'll cut the weight they walk you know they come back at 30 pounds heavier completely out of shape but you give them six weeks and they'll be fine but the problem is they never learned anything yeah so the six weeks you're preparing you're not really improving technically. I, I think that, I truly believe that for you to learn, it's almost like you have to be more in a rela- more relaxed environment where you're not trying to win. It's not that you're not trying to win, but I guess you're more more experimenting more. Like, for example, I'll try that Kimura. I'll try that Footlock. I'll try that Guillotine I never go for, right? And you're a more relaxed environment. That's when you're actually experimenting, and then you learn more. Whereas if you're that, let's prepare for this opponent and let's overtrain you right now, it's very hard for you to learn. I like... My full philosophy is, in terms of preparation, is I think you're probably going to agree with me. We're going to go learn, learn, learn until we get close to a fight camp. We got a fight. You got six, eight weeks out. Now we focus. We 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 switch gears and we're going to go. Let's hone in on you know our opponent's skill set and being in peak shape, right? And then yeah. it's not about learning because you're not going to learn anything three weeks before a fight. I mean, sometimes you do, but generally speaking, you don't. And that's and it's something MMA fighters don't seem to grasp a lot of times. It's hard to get that through their heads. Like they don't think they have to. Where I guess in jiu-jitsu, maybe because you're less injured after a tournament, that could explain it. But you're back at the gym next week, like not even a week, two weeks off to me sounds crazy. If you yeah. Ask me. Like I understand where Firas is coming from because I know how these guys are. Two weeks is like, come on, they went three months off. Like two weeks to me is like, hey man, you get a week max, and that's if you're. I mean, if you're injured, you may need longer. But I mean, the way I look at it, you should be back at the gym on Monday. As soon as you can be, yeah. I mean, no, if you're not injured, I don't see why not. We always tell all of our fighters, like, yeah. we come back on, like, they fight on Friday, see you on Monday. Yeah. And then, like, yeah. we start working again. But as you said, it's true, because anybody who's, like, if you're the common student, you might know not know how a fight camp works, right? But, like, generally, it's, like, exactly what you said, right? Yeah. We identify a strategy, and we look at the opponents, and we formulate the strategy. Like, okay, he has a weak ground game. We got to work on taking him down. This is plan A, contingency, you know, and whatnot. So you're just working on perfecting those game plans, and like you said, then developing the stamina and weight cutting is probably a big factor in there as well. So there isn't a lot of room to learn. You're perfecting a game plan, you know. Yeah. So yeah, there's no real skill development, you know, yeah. and especially if, like you said, like if they're slacking big time and you know they take two months off and they're eating then a big part of their camp is just dieting and cutting which is a huge distraction because yeah. now like when you and i've done that i'm sure you have as well and you can't train well when you're cutting because yeah. you have to be calorie deprived if you're trying to diet weight off you know what i mean because not only it's one thing if you're cutting water weight but there's a lot of guys who get overweight or out of shape and they have to get back in shape yeah. so you're gonna have to create a calorie deficit and when you're training two times a day or three times a day or putting four hours in hard, that calorie deficit is going to kick your ass. Yeah. And I remember I would train and I would get my ass kicked by people. I'm like, I just have to tell myself, like, this is because you're weak right now. Yeah, and, and when the fight comes in, you're going to be really good. But right now, don't judge this performance. It does fuck you up, though. But it, it does mess yeah, you up. Yeah. Right? And, like, from a performance standpoint, you're not training as hard as you could be because you're limited by the amount of energy that you have. Right. Whereas if you were disciplined and always in in shape, you know, you don't have to be fight shape, but always in good shape, then there there isn't like a drastic weight cut or diet plan that you have to do. You said, okay, I just gotta, you know, tone up a little bit or just get my cardio a little better. 
And that allows you to train better for competition without feeling weak and getting beat up all over the place. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And the other thing, too, is I feel that there's something about learning that requires... I'm speaking from my own experience. Yeah. I think everyone's different. I think we all learn differently. I don't think we're all like learning the exact same way. And I, I feel that I've made most progress in my learning when I was happy, when things in my personal life were going well, like every, I had no distractions. Uh, I was very focused and I was dreaming about jiu-jitsu all day. I remember this. Like sometimes I was so excited about jiu-jitsu, about learning a new mover. I'd be thinking about it till two in the morning. And I'm doing the move in my head over and over and over till two in the morning. Like it's like not all the time, but like I'd be driving. I mean, I got severe ADD. If you know me, you know this. So I'm like driving, like I'm distracted. Sometimes I I, I miss my exit because I'm thinking on oh, that 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 sweep, and then you know top. And I'm, I'm in my head, I'm fighting, right? Yeah. And I I really believe that I was learning that way because I was becoming. I was crazy. We discussed it with Kit Dale a while ago. That emotional attachment to the move, and you think about it over uh, over and over, and you dream about it, and it's so important to you you actually end up absorbing and truly believing in that move. When the time comes, you really want it to work, right? So I, I think that these things have to be in place. And when you're dieting, like you were describing, anyone who's ever cut weight knows this. You're miserable. Yeah. You're unhappy. You get hangry. Like, I'm rude to people. You go caveman on people. Like, you don't want to... It's it's hard to describe the feelings. It's a horrible, horrible state of mind. And it's hard to be happy and be dreaming about learning, dreaming about jujitsu, dreaming about moves, when you can't stop thinking about food and you turn the TV on and get a, you know, like a hamburger commercial on it, that's all you, that's all you it really occupies your time. Yeah. It's kind of like, I remember when there's like, uh, this is fascinating to me. So like, when I was like a perp, I was really into the competition scene in Brazil. And I had heard that for you to perform, you should not have sex, you should not masturbate. Yeah, yeah. And then you would just conserve all that energy. You would raise your testosterone levels, right? And then... Yeah, you perform better. So I would I would literally like go like a week, two weeks with no masturbation, no sex. And then I remember one time I did a month at a tournament, <laughs> right? I did a month, like no month. Like I kid you not, it was brutal. But it was worse. I'll tell you why. Because yeah. I couldn't stop thinking about sex. I was thinking more about sex than I was about jujitsu. Because my mind was just like, you know, I'm surprised I didn't get like a wet dream or anything. But then I won the tournament. It was like a big tournament. I don't remember which one it was. But the second time I did that, I did a whole month. The night before, right, it was a, the, the, the world championship purple belt. I won purple belt 2001. The night before, I had sex with my girlfriend. I couldn't resist. We sleep in the same bed. It happened, right? And I still won. So I was like, that's bullshit. And then I go a little while later, I saw a special, I think it was like Science uh, Discovery Channel, one of them, Science of Fighting. And they actually found that your testosterone actually raises yes. after sex. So sex is actually going to improve your performance. Correct. Time, you know, and As, after I saw that, I'm like, okay, that's stupid. Yeah, I know a lot of people have those things like, oh, no sex for two weeks. It takes yeah. away your legs. I'm like, dude. What exactly are you what doing? What are you doing? doing I know, some intense sex. I know, like maybe when you're young, you're gonna do some crazy stuff, headstands. You know, you're picking up people. Trying to like, press the girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. But like, if you're with someone you've been with a while, it's pretty simple. Right? <laughs> I don't get, I don't get all sex. I'm like, oh, I'm crappy. You know, it's like, dude, come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, no, we're not I'm running marathons here, no, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that's such a weird thing to say. You know, yeah. like, and Weak would you legs, see, like, oh, I, yeah, yeah, I think about that because, like. What is it that you're doing? Because, like, you'd be tired after sex, but not, like, exhausted tired. No. It's nothing like training, you know? It's like, come on, your heart rate goes up a little bit. You might break, you know, break in a sweat, whatever. Dude, I, you know, I, I could see your legs getting tired, depending on the position. But, like, 
It's nothing like training. Not even close. I I have worn the Fitbit during sex. Oh, really? (laughs) That's pretty cool. This guy. (laughs) For science. And it doesn't really... Everything for science. It doesn't really move up that much. Like, yeah. Like, you're like a hundred at most, you know? Like, Which is like a jog. It's like walking, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like fast, 120 yeah. would be like jogging and, you know, yeah. like obviously 150 up would be yeah. running. You don't really go that much, but you know? exercise. See if you can raise your heartbeat to 140, 150 having sex. I'd be actually... You, you could like, do it. You yeah. could probably do I, it. You yeah. Try. You know, yeah. you, could, you gotta be standing up and lifting and stuff yeah. like that. But like... Normally, you're not doing that stuff, you know. And if you need to get one out, you just do missionary. It's yeah, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. And like you said, the other thing is true. Actually, the longer you go without having sex, your testosterone level starts to drop. Yeah. Right. So, like, actually, when you go a month without it, you're actually your testosterone level is going to be lower than when you started. Now, the other thing is like, if you're having sex like every day or like twice a day or something like that, then your testosterone levels will drop because it's too much. It's too much, right? Yeah. So they they're saying I, I think it was like once every three days or something like that that would be like a steady pace that would be like uh, ideal you know because you you want to again i'm not a doctor so i might be screwing this all up yeah. but from my understanding like, like a couple of times a week it's going to be good for you as far uh, as like keeping your testosterone levels high yeah i, I mean it, make, it makes sense because it's making your body you know I, I, even though i think the difference is probably marginal i think it does raise your testosterone level a little bit but yeah. not like oh my god i'm going to win a tournament because of this but every little yeah, every little bit counts, right? That's how I look at it. But like to me, the most distracted thing, this is why this was such a horrible idea. Testosterone levels aside, I'm just talking about your mindset. Yes. I, I remember like, you know, I'm like 18, 19, right? You know, testosterone's through the roof. All you think about is sex when you're 18. Right? That's all that's going through your head. And I'm trying to focus on a tournament and, you know, I haven't, you know, masturbated, had sex in, you know, 20, 30 days now. I can't stop thinking about it. It's all that's on my mind. It's actually so much worse. So if you got that in your head, get it out of your head right now. Don't even. I mean, maybe not have like a sexathon in the morning. Yeah. Before the you know. I, I think exactly. No marathons. Just you know. <laughs> pace yourself. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I think that like you said you you don't want to be like starving yourself out that, especially since it's, it's actually could help you. You know. Yeah. And I think like you said, just for your mindset, you you want to not have that it's like if people who've cut weight or dieted hard you know when you're actually hungry when you dream about food every time you go to sleep yes because I, I know you you were just talking about it, but i remember me as well like, i have just dreams about food all the time yeah it's like man that's messed up it's your equivalent <laughs> of your, your wet dream exactly. yeah exactly yeah. Your brain's like, yo eat something man come on and, and i i know i i don't like fast food in general like if yeah. i eat mcdonald's or wendy's it's because there's absolutely nothing correct else yeah. for me to eat and i'm starving i think that I would rather eat junk food than not eat. I think not eating is unhealthier than eating junk food. But that's just me. Some people probably disagree. I, I would agree with you. I think yeah. uh, even though like I have done that before, because I went like once like a ten year stretch without eating fast food, yeah. and I I would say you know what I'm not going to eat anything. Like people would stop at Wendy's or whatever. I'm like no, I'm good. I'll just starve. You know, I'm fine. Yeah. And like in, in retrospect, like eh, it's just calories. You know what I mean? And it's not calories and calories. Yeah, up. maybe it's garbage food, but. It's better than zero. It's better than no calories. Yeah. I agree. And with that mindset, you know, like, I don't like fast food. I just don't like the taste of it. It doesn't taste fresh yeah. to me. I'm right there with you. you. I'm a food snob. So I like it. Yeah, I, 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 exactly. I, I, yeah. I like good food. Not necessarily healthy, but yeah. it like, has to taste good, right? So, um, you know, I remember, uh, um, you know, when I, I'm watching TV and the Wendy's commercial comes on. And it looks like the most delicious thing in the world. Because I'm, like, severely fat deprived. I don't get shredded. I never got shredded. Even weigh-ins. I got like baby abs at best, yeah, you know. I might. <laughs> but like my body's still fat 
depleted, you know. So it actually fat is a good thing. We, yep. We've talked about this before, but like it's it's a it's a survival mechanism. There's a reason why bacon smells good and broccoli doesn't. Bacon will get you alive. Will keep you alive. Like broccoli, yeah, gives some enzymes, a little cow. But it's mostly water. Yeah. So from a survival perspective, it makes a lot more sense for your body to crave bacon and sugar than broccoli and kale. You know, even though like health nuts will argue with this all day. It's like eat this. This world we live in is a very artificial world. We can go to Whole Foods and buy nuts from Africa, Brazil, yeah. or Indonesia, and everything's available. And you, no one's calorie deprived because even poorer people are fat these days. Whereas a hundred thousand years ago, like I think that obesity was non-existing. That would be my guess. I wouldn't know for sure, but like I think that obesity would be. I think everyone was pretty. Well, it, it was a it was a sign of privilege, like you know. It still you, is in a lot of places. Yeah, in other countries, yeah. If you're fat, it's like man, this guy's rich because he can afford to eat all in, this. In food. the northeast yeah. of Brazil, it's a very poor region of Brazil. If you if you've lived in Brazil, if you travel to Brazil, you've probably seen it. Most of Brazilian wealth is in the south, and the north is pretty poor. But in the northeast, to have fat children is a symbol of status. And one of my best friend in Brazil, he was born in the northeast. They migrated when when he was like you know a child. And his mother, till this day, like she's constantly like, force feeding kids. Like in her head, like you got to be fat. Like in her mm-hmm. head, till this day, fat kids the most beautiful thing in the world because she grew up in poverty. Yeah. So to her, like fat is yes, it's a symbol of wealth. Yeah. And same. health, which is crazy. <laughs> you know? She probably love it in in the U.S. I think the U.S. got beat as fattest country in the world a while ago. I don't know if you regained oh. a title or not, but yeah. Mexico. Did us, outdid us. Really? Mexico, they love tortillas, man. Have you gone to Mexico? <laughs> they tortillas everywhere, man. They're very, they're not unhealthy by itself in a normal quantity, but they eat so much of them, I think that. But Mexico actually, you know, was the fattest country in the world. We were second. But I think it's close. I think it's a, it's a tight race. We'll there. win it back this year. That'll <laughs> <laughs> be number one at everything, <laughs> even the bad stuff. You know? But yeah, man, it's, um, you know, I, I'm not, you know, you, I'm like you, Dave. I'm not obsessed with, you know, my diet and food, but generally the terms, like I try to be, you know, try not to, to be a slob, you know. I'm yeah. No, I, I, um, for me, though, the reason I don't eat fast food, one, health reasons, but more really because I don't like the taste of it, right? It's like the first time I had a prime steak, yeah. it was a, like a game-changing moment for me because now it's like, well, I can never eat selector choice <laughs> Eat again, yeah. the taste is so much better. You know whether it, it, the marbling of the meat and all it just makes a big difference. So like you know the lot of stuff I've tried, it's like I taste something like okay, I can't go backwards now. Now I have to eat this or better. <laughs> and and, and I become more self-aware as you get older too. You know like I yeah I, I give myself the freedom to eat in and out every now and then, but it's not you get older and like your metabolism changes. Like you know Felipe Andrew, you know he's yes. he's living with me. And uh, I've never seen a human eat like he does. It's out of this world. Like mountains of food. Like only two of them. Like, dude, he's not huge, right? He's probably walking around 210. But he eats like twice as much as I do. But he's 25, 24, 25. Yeah, so his metabolism is rolling. Yeah. And I remember eating like that when I was his age. Maybe not that much. It's like He's like a whole new level. But, you know, I eat way less than I used to. And I'm still putting on weight, right? Which is crazy. But, like, yeah, watching some of these kids eat, it's almost, like, entertaining. They're like, holy shit, man, where's that all going? And they're lean. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But, like, I, I think it's really, I mean, it's genetics, a number of factors, too. But I think the metabolism changes dramatically. And I can feel it. Like, you're, you're, you just don't run through calories as quickly as you did when you are in your 20s. Yeah, it's also the training output. Like, those guys are, you know, they're training a lot, you know. Day, yeah. I think, what was it, like, Michael Phelps, they were saying he eats, like, 10,000 calories a day. 
which is a ridiculous oh, amount of food. Of something disgusting. Someone showed me this video on YouTube. There's this 15-year-old kid. There's the Michael Phelps challenge. Yeah, if you if you search it, it's you're not gonna waste. It's 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 great. He actually gets this 15-year-old kid. He he's gonna eat like something like 10,000 calories, 12,000 calories, whatever that Michael Phelps eats a day. But he does it in one hour. Oh God, that's not a good. And, and he's skinny and he's lean. You know, it reminds me of that guy that eats hot dog, hot dog really quick, like Kobayashi. Kobayashi, yeah, he's like yeah, super, yeah, yeah. Like it's insane, right? He's shredded. But this kid even reminds me of him, and he eats a, something like that, whatever it is, like ten thousand calories, and it's it's a ridiculous amount of food. We're talking pancakes, energy drinks, uh, pizza, pasta. It's the kind of I think it would take me like four days to eat that much food right it's insane for it me it hour. would literally be four days because i'm eating around between 2500 and 3000 calories a day you know so you count huh yeah oh shit that sounds like a lot of work man no man i, I you remember we did the episode we yeah, were on the phone just, i know every but you gotta remember to type like i just eat as i go like sometimes i'm just like snacking while i'm driving oh i have a scale in my house i weigh everything i eat yeah, I'm, always, I'm pretty disciplined with that. If you know, you don't know if you know, you know Dave, you know how like organized and how disciplined <laughs> he is. Like he's very, very methodical about everything. It, it's impressive because I, I don't have that kind of personality. Um, but like it's, yeah, there's there's a lot of value to it, keeping track. You know what I wish I had done? I wish I kept a, done, I kept a diary over my training. Like the thing, like how, I think we talked a little bit about this, but like how I feel with that day and what I ate that week before. But not just for like your your, your how you feel physically. But, you know, like I, I had a lot of success with this move today. And it's just a way of keeping, sometimes like, I don't know if you ever happens, this ever happened to you. You're, you're working on a move and it's we're going really, really well. And you're killing people with it. And all of a sudden, boom, it just Time. vanishes from your game. Yep. And you don't do it for like two, three years. And then it comes back all of a sudden. I'm like, why on earth did I stop doing this move? I was killing people with it. Yep. But it's so crazy how your game goes. It's very cyclical. It doesn't, I'm not even sure why that is. I suspect maybe your training partners adapt to it, and then you have to. That's maybe that stops working for a while, and then it comes back. But I, it's it's. I've always been that way. Yeah, no, I've I've had that too, and it's a mix of what you said. Like one of them, like at my gym, we used to do. A, I used to do a lot of heel hooks when I was competing a lot, but then everybody got really good defending them at my gym, so it wasn't working as well. So then I started doing something else, and then you kind of stopped using it, even though like if you compete outside, it's going to work really well. Like in ACC, I, all, most of my finishes were heel hooks, you know. <laughs> but at my gym, I barely get people with with heel hooks back but, in the day. But the problem with like you know getting frustrated, right? You know, in quotation marks, frustrated with your training parts and not getting something, is it may lead you to believe that you're not doing it well and that it wouldn't work in a competition. Might that might be the weapon that you're missing, right? Yeah. To beat that certain opponent, which is something I. I'm always, you know, as a coach, I talk about this every day. It's, it's funny because when you're a coach, you repeat some things so much because they're, they're important things to you. And your students roll your eyes. But whenever I say that same thing, when I teach a private or a seminar, you're like, it's like this great. Students take you for granted. Yeah, this yeah. great revelation. That your students take you for granted a lot of times. But if I repeat it, it's because it's very important. But I always talk about developing new weapons, not be a one-trick pony, and learn how to shut off your autopilot. Because everyone talks about autopilot is the greatest thing ever. And it is your best friend, but it's also your biggest enemy. Because autopilot is what teaches you to do what you do all the time automatically. And sometimes that's the wrong way to go. Depend on your opponent, depend on the circumstances. Good competitor shuts off autopilot and goes in a different direction, right? Like I'm able to re- you know, change my strategy. But if you're a one-trick pony and you always do the same things over and over, you struggle with that because that's all you do. 
Yeah. So I, I always like to have like, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't pass on my knees. I'm like, oh, there might be a time for it. Oh, I don't like hip throws or I don't like to wrestle or I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm like, man, there will be a time that you will need that. I'll give you an example. I hated judo and wrestling coming up. I was, it's funny because like I'm known as a guard critic today. But if you saw me coming up from white to brown, that's all I did. I did not stand up. I did not know. I didn't know how to pass up to black belt. Right, like I'd be like I was one. I was one of those guys. I was so uncomfortable on top. I'd rather throw myself on bottom and get score two points on because I knew I could sweep if I wanted to. Right, I was that guy. But it was, you know, it, it was not until because in my head I'm going, no one's ever gonna pass my guard. My guard's gonna be so good, Dave. No one's ever gonna pass it. I'm just gonna put 100 percent of my investment in that until I met a guy that could walk through my guard. Mm. And now what do you do? Because he has my number. He's figured me out. Right. And I wish I had the judo skills or the wrestling skills to take him down because I know he had no guard, right? So, you know, students tend to be very stubborn. I find that it's always like the blue belts and purple belts for some reason. It's like seem like the, 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 not beginners, but like the intermediate level. And they, they're the ones that have like their game, you know, and I hate when I hear that, like my game. It's almost like this is what I do. Everything else is outside of my game. I don't want to learn it. And I have to really almost like argue with people, convince them, like, man, don't be limited like that. You know, don't look at it that way. Yeah, I think it's because when you're at that blue-purple level, you think you know something. Very arrogant. (laughs) Because you probably are having success with that particular move or your your game. And then, like you're saying, you're like, okay, I I just want to get as many taps or wins as I can, so I'm going to keep playing this game. But as as you said, there's diminishing returns. And especially when you're starting off and blue, you're relatively starting off. Like if you're going to curb your growth in this one point when there's a branch here that's completely unexplored, you know, you could learn a lot here fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think the what you're calling the autopilot is destructive to learning. Yeah. Right. I think it has its place, particularly in competition or whatnot, yeah. where you want to execute quickly. But when you're training, you want, your goal is to learn as much as you can. So, yeah, the got to toss the ego aside and allow yourself to take some L's in training for the long-term win, you know? Uh, like I said, when I would work on things, I would pick objectives. I would say, okay, I want to score, you know, five guillotines today. You, remember, you talked about this before. I'd be the same way. Like, I want to get this submission working today, and I'm just going to go for that. I'm going to yeah. force it. So it's not uh, natural. I'm just trying to make it happen. But it's giving me more exposure to that position so I can learn faster yeah you know and uh i think that's for me that's what always worked like i would force myself into positions or like i would play half guard and when my half guard was garbage i'm like i'm just gonna force half guard every time start from bottom pull it and and and, get, hard. and make myself work it you know yeah. but like i at least when i was training my gym i didn't care about you know like oh the student passed my guard or this guy my rival you know my brother yeah. beat me like that's fine i'm training I'm, I'm here to learn. You know, when we go out to compete, now it's different. It's very hard to do because I, I would tell myself that. I teach my students exactly what you said in those words. But I had a very hard time doing it myself because I, I tell you, today I'm going to go to the gym and I'm just going to put myself in a bad spot, right? And I was, you know, and but of course I, I, I'm, I, I'm competitive. Like I want to win. So the second things go south for me, like I, I immediately <laughs> go back to my A game. And it's so hard to discipline yourself into just being the guy who's accepting to lose. I went through a phase. It didn't last, it lasted about less than a week. I wouldn't call it a phase. But like I was so angry at myself because I couldn't stick to, because I couldn't 
lose and I had to just I just go back to my A game all the time and try to beat people, even though I'm preaching the opposite, right? But I had a really hard time disciplining myself doing that. So what I would do is like I'd make I did this like I said lasted less than a week, but I would like I'm gonna get tapped today, I have to get tapped today. So if I'm rolling with someone, I would like let them get a kimura or a really good choke, and I try to get out, and then like maybe half the time they get out, the other time but, like I was like my blue belts were tapping me, but I was putting myself in all these spots. It was almost like a way of like humbling myself, like it's okay if you tap, bro. Yeah. Like it's okay if you lose, but it's like a, this internal battle I had where like I just didn't want to lose. But the, the smarter part of me was trying to discipline me, like, Rob, it's okay if you lose, right? And it didn't last very long. <laughs> but like, I think there was one occasion I turned to this blue belt. He tapped me, like, six times in ten rounds. I think he was confused. I'm like, is he letting me? And like, I remember the look on his face was like, what's going on, Rob? Like, you know, but it was just my way of, like, trying to break that habit of not wanting to lose in practice. But you're right. Like, practice is for practice. It's for learning. It's not for winning. You know, as long as you can understand that difference. Something you're not trying to win when you're trying to move. You go, let's say, some people only attack the right foot, yeah. right? They never footlock the left foot for whatever reason, right? You attack the left one. You're trying to get it. You're not letting your opponent get out. But because you're going on your bad side, chances are you're going to fail. Yeah. And when you fail, you learn what we call a negative lesson. Right. You learn how not to do it. That lesson is important. Learning how not to do something is just as important as learning how to do it. Yep. And I think that that's my peeve with people that want the shortcuts because they only want to learn the way how to do it. And it's like, man, the true lessons, like for you to truly understand something, you have to understand all these other options that don't work. Because that's the difference between truly knowing something and memorizing something, Dave. Because a person who memorized, let's say I watch your DVD set and I memorize how you do things. I Even though, let's say I can explain it better than you. It doesn't mean I know it better than you. Even though the white belt may perceive it that way. But someone who has memorized a move, you can corner them just like this. You ask them two or three questions that go outside of what's going on there, and they either don't know or they're going to bullshit you. They're going to come up with a bullshit answer. Whereas, like, you know, you're an expert Kimura. I, I know I, could, I, I couldn't corner you. Like, no matter what I say, you have an answer to this position and what would happen if someone did this or that. And you have been through all those situations, so you know why it doesn't work. And you have a good reason why. Or versus someone who's memorized a move, they're going to bullshit. Yeah. I guarantee you they don't have an answer because they've never been to the situation. They so start looking gonna... up and to the right. Or they think... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard right and I've heard left. I'm not sure what it is. But I, people I do, yeah, but people do that when they laugh. If you pay attention, body language oh, gives huge. people yeah. away. I'm almost like sometimes I try to train myself to only pay attention to people's body language. And almost like... But it's it's hard to focus on both because the, the words kind of hypnotize you. You start listening, you know, but body language gives people away a lot. For sure. No, but you, you are right. You know, the... Those negative lessons, or it's like Thomas Edison, you know, he didn't fail 10,000 times. He learned 10,000 ways not, not to make to a lay bulb, right? That's exactly. That. So I feel that's one of the benefits my brother and I had when we came up. Since we didn't have an instructor for most of our career, we had to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, a lot of times. And then we learned, there are, like you said, there were lots of negative lessons. Like, okay, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, then, but we know why all these things don't work. And it's also made us a little bit more open-minded because we didn't have someone telling us, okay, this is how this works. And this is this is why you're going to do it like this. Like, no, like, we got to explore a lot. Like, we did all sorts of weird stuff. One of the things that uh, you were mentioned, like, I let go of was doing neck cranks. I used to do neck cranks all the time from all sorts of positions. But I found, like, with training partners, most people don't like tapping to neck cranks because they think it's, like, a pain move. And then what ends up happening to... 
Which one did you use? Because I never got into them. I cross-faced people for a minute. I was crossing people all the time. But like, Neck cranks, I would do them all sorts. Like the front, just from mount, from the front here, from the bottom guard, I could do it. Uh, sit-outs, a lot of neck cranks. And a lot of them are not necessarily, they can start as a neck crank, but then they can become a, they call it like a diaphragm choke. Yeah. You know, a diaphragm compression. At the one from the Kasagatami, on Kasagatami. The judo head control. Yeah, Josh yeah, Barnett yeah, 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 exactly like that. that. Brutal. That looks like a bullshit move, but if you've been oh, under a heavyweight doing that to you, uh, and terrible. they can be consistent with the pressure, because one thing, if they press you for like two, three seconds, you can, you know, you're practically yeah. holding your breath for three seconds. But if they can keep it that 10, 15 seconds, yep. like, you, there's no way you tap. You can't breathe. Yeah, you can't breathe. It's it's yeah. it's awful. I know, uh, and there's one that I like to do, the Basrudin one. That one, I don't know if you've seen that one. I, I forgot what someone else calls it, but I learned it from Basrudin. Yeah. From Grappling Magazine. He showed it. I remember I saw it. I'm like, this looks like BS. But I'm like, man, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. And I remember I the first guy I got to do it to was my brother. And essentially you're from a Kasekatami. Yeah. And then you loop around his neck, grab your own thigh. And then you grab his other yes. leg, loop your own thigh, and then I pinch your knees it. together. And I remember I put him in there for like 20 seconds. And he didn't tap. And I'm like, damn, I guess it didn't work. And I'm like, all right, let go of it. And then we, we finished around. And my brother's like, oh, I made a big mistake. I'm ruined. <laughs> like the crank just destroyed me. He just didn't tap out of pride. He just didn't tap out of pride. Of and course, he didn't train right, for like yeah. three or four days. You know, he was, his yeah. ribs were just totally I, destroyed. I've done, actually, I yeah. know what you're talking about. I have done it to people and yeah. I've had it done to me. It actually does work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just not, it's not a high percentage move in the sense where like a rear naked choke is a high percentage submission, right? To not, there's a hierarchy, I believe, when it comes to effectiveness of submissions, right? To me, like, you know, rear naked choke is king. Yeah. Always will be. I don't think that's ever gonna. And it's old school. Remember the old school conversation. Yeah. Not as old as it gets. Yeah. And and then it goes like armbar, guillotine, you know, whatever, like down the ranks. And that one would not rank top ten. But again, like there's a right, even like the crazy stuff. There's a place for crazy stuff. Yeah. When Anthony, my favorite example, Anthony Pettis knocked out Ben Henderson, throwing you know that spinning kick off the cage. Yeah. Once again, the line between genius and and stupid is very thin. You know, had he landed on his head and knocked himself out. He's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> he knocked him out. He's a genius. Yeah. But like that's that's truly how things are, man. Like I think that you try something absolutely crazy, and then if it works, you're brilliant. And if it doesn't, what an idiot for even trying, right? Yeah, you know, it's uh, high risk, high reward. High it's risk, one of those reward. things. But sometimes mo people don't expect those high risk moves, and they get caught. You know? but, but you should have that. Like I, when I show low percentage moves, sometimes I show them at gym. It's not not even big. They're not even part of our curriculum. Every now and then, our curiosity. I'll show my, my, my students and I explain, like, look, this is not a high percentage move. But if you're in a situation where you're down by 20 points, you got 30 seconds left, maybe go for that Ezekiel from inside the close guard. Yeah, it's a Hail Mary. Yeah, I yeah, try that move that you saw on Fight Magazine, you know, 20 years ago that looked like a bullshit move. Try that move from the Gene LaBelle Encyclopedia of Submissions. Have you ever seen that book? No, I haven't. Okay, it's, it's great. Like, it's got, <laughs> like, it's something, I think the title of the book is like a thousand and one submissions or something like that. And of course, like 80% of them are just, okay, that would never work. But I say that with caution because there might be a time where that would work. I'm sure it's worked at some point, you know. But, you know, I don't think that that would be part of a curriculum. I wouldn't be teaching that in class every week. Once in every now and then, out of curiosity, you show it and like, hey, you never know. What's your most ridiculous submission that you have? That I use? Yeah. I know I got a few. I'm just trying to think of one now. That, like, it looks like absolute bullshit. Yeah. Okay, I got two. They're very similar. One of them is I locked the body triangle. Off. My, my leg is a little bit bigger these days. So yeah. when they were thinner. It was easier. Yes, yeah, so it was, you know, I'm not that much. I'm like, people probably think if you can't see me that I'm fat. I'm not fat. I'm just bigger. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, when you lock the body triangle on, um, mm -hmm. what I do is, you know, most people lock it around the abdomen, right? Yep. What I do is I grab my shin and I move myself up, as I, just like I'm adjusting the triangle, I pull that shin over the rib cage. Mm. And then I lock that triangle not on my foot, but on my ankle. So the out, the top of my toe is touching the outside of my knee. Okay. So it's like an ankle deep triangle. And then I squeeze my knees together. David. People, I, I've never right. had someone not tap there. Yeah, it's I've, brutal. Yeah, I've had people, I don't like those at all. Yeah, because yeah. what happens is, like, your abdomen is all muscle and guts, yeah. right? Whereas your rib cage is actually protecting your organs. Yeah. And the rib cage are not that strong. No. So when you apply pressure to your rib cage, you're actually, you know, applying pressure to the organs, and it sends your body into a panic, right? And it's, a, it's believe it or not, it's legal. IBJJF, people don't know this, but it's completely legal because there's nothing in the rules that says anything about that. Especially because the ref, it just looks like a body triangle. You tap on the body triangle, you're a bitch. Yeah. You know, they're not always seeing the, the amount of pain that that move. Oh, uh, it's, uh, I've involves. popped like six or seven ribs, so I would hate you if you did that to me. No, it's brutal, <laughs> man. Like, I, I don't think I could, David. But, like, but like, I used to, I used to, actually, there was a minute there in May, I was getting so frustrated, not able to finish people because of the gloves. And getting a rear naked choke with gloves is very difficult. Yeah. And the arm bar, I got it a lot, but, you know, it was one of those things, the arm bar was plan C. My plan B became the body triangle on the back, and I was killing people with it, man. Oh, yeah. it's in, Particularly with the back. I people all the time with that body triangle on the back. I yeah, always lock it over the ribcage. If you got a cup gone, too, and you got the cup grinding into the lower back, that thing is not fun. I got another bullshit submission that I, I, do, I show people, and they don't think it's real. Like, ah, oh, that doesn't work. And then I do it to, holy fuck, it works. But I'm in close guard, right? And I go flower sweeps. I go really deep with my right arm. Okay. But instead of flower sweeping you, right? What I do is I put the knee that I'm, that's, that I'm pulling myself into on the ground. So by going with my right arm flower sweep, my right knee goes on the ground. Okay. That puts me sideways. Yep. Right? And then I lock the triangle, the same triangle that I do on the back, but on the side of the ribcage. Mm. Right? And then I lock the triangle and I squeeze. It's even worse than the one on the back because it applies all the pressure yeah, sideways to only in. one rib. And I've caught a few people with that. But when you when you teach it, it sounds like bullshit. You know, no, no, like I, I I believe it. I've had yeah. people try to do those body triangles with me, and I work immediately to get it off yeah. because I I know that's bad news. I I have a the reason I have, I have one BS move that I've hit maybe twice ever. Yeah, but if you if I got hit with this, I'd probably quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is behind the arm facing away guillotine. Okay, behind, behind the back. Behind the back. So you would be that way. I yeah. would grab you like this and yeah. finish you here. So no, I'm on your back. and you. Yeah, so pretty much the way it works, I would sprawl you out so you're on your force. Yeah. And then I would throw, turn away from you and whack, lock my hands behind my back. So your neck is in this little pocket oh, okay, right here. Okay. And then you finish. And then you just stretch your hips out. Boom. Man, that's, I've never even seen Not even... In Gene LaBelle's encyclopedia did I see that I, I forgot I know I didn't come up with that I saw it somewhere yeah. um, and, I, and I used to do a prank with people like I go oh I, I had this great move I'm going to show you check this out yeah. and I would put my hand on their shoulder and walk them to the mat and right when we get on the mats and just drop yeah, my yeah, butt yeah. and be like Ugh! yeah <laughs> that's funny I, I never see but like I can see I can see it working in some circumstances Hafi does one that re just reminded me of something yeah. he does one from you know, imagine you're like in, 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 in side control and mm -hmm. then you face the legs and you wrap the shoulder. Yep. Hafi has one where he reaches around behind his back with both his arms and like does a north-south from there. The oh, weirdest wow. thing. I cannot do it. He does it though. Like not all the time. It's not yeah. high percentage, but I've seen people him tap it with me. He's done it to me. I'm not trying to escape or anything, but I, yeah. I feel the pressure. Like, man, I can see this working. And he actually connects his hands behind his back. It's the weirdest thing. I was one more. I just reminded of an absolute bullshit move. And 
The guy did it to me. I'm letting we're not fighting. Yeah. And I almost like screamed in pain. It was brutally painful. Imagine deep half guard. This yep. is a purple belt from Brazil. And he's like, look at this submission. You can't let you can't go deep half like let him get to deep half guard. I'm like, why? Because he'll do this. So deep half guard and the leg that he's hugging, so he's on his back, right? You have your leg across and you know, ankle trapped in half guard and yep. your leg across his body, right? Yep. He does a rear naked choke on the top of your leg with the blade of the rear naked choke in the middle of your thigh. Interesting. And then he squeezes. Dave, it hurt like it was like what it was brutal, man. It looks like it sounds like bullshit. Like yeah. you're not tapped from that. Man, it felt like my femur was gonna break. The guy was strong. He's a strong guy, yeah. short arms, kind of stocky. But when he did it, it felt like he was gonna break my femur. I had to tap. I mean, we're not going live. Yeah, but, but apparently he does that to to a lot of people. And interesting. It, it's not even in the rule book. It doesn't even exist in the list of submissions, you know. But yeah, so you, you gotta be a little, you know, sometimes you gotta keep that. Keep the the, the 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 door open for the possibility of weird stuff that in theory shouldn't work. For sure, yeah, it works. You can't argue with success. Exactly. You never know when something could come in handy. You know, so it's good to have more tools and more options because you yeah. can always pull it out. Like I know, whenever I was down a match and points, I, that's when all my flying stuff would start coming up. Yeah, I do flying arm bars, flying triangles, well. whatever. Because I either I lose. You know, by one advantage, or I'm gonna right. lose by ten points. It's the same or thing. Or by submission. Or so by submission. Like, yeah. It's the same thing, right? So yeah. you, you might as well go out on your shield and That's try to. I always yeah exactly go yeah. go home on your shield, uh, but you know what? I, I always tell my students this. You know, the last minute of a fight when you're winning is the most dangerous. Oh yeah. Minute of the fight, and that, it's crazy because sometimes you're winning and you see ten seconds on the clock and you start relaxing a little bit. I'm like, that's the worst time to relax in a fight. Yeah. Is when you got ten seconds left on the clock and you're winning. That's when your opponent's most dangerous. That's when he's going to jump the flying triangle, the flying armbar. He's going to go for that footlock he's never gone for before. And he's going to do crazy shit, and he's going to go 2,000% into it. It's yeah. not. It, there's not going to be – he's not going to half-ass it. Because no. he's got five seconds on the clock. What does he have to lose? So, you know, the advice to competitors is when you're winning, you got to be extra conservative. I'm not saying stalling, but, like, don't mess around, man. If he's going for something, you got to respect everything he goes for. you got to see it. Like it's a race, a running, a foot race. Yeah. Do you slow down when the guy's within ten feet of you? Like absolutely not. You got to sprint to the finish. Yeah. And it's funny because you see it happen in racing all the time too. Like that, they'll start putting their hands up, and then the guy boom smokes him from behind. Yeah. I'm like, man, like what a lack of discipline, like just to finish it. You could do that yeah. same victory lap after you've crossed the finish yeah, it, line. It's, it's, you know it's, I mean? it's, it's overconfidence. I I've, I don't I've never raced before, but I've heard this. It might be bullshit. But it's almost like an advantage to be in second, close to the first place, because the incentive for you to catch the incentive for the the guy's first place is the finish line, is for whatever reason is smaller than for the guy who's in second place who sees you a few feet in front of him. I think it's also an uh, aerodynamic advantage because the guy in the front is breaking you. the wind. Yes, right. True. So and I cycling, I know that's for sure. Yeah, that's why they stay in line and huge momentum. But they're like small advantages, but like. At that, that level, they add up, you know? I think the psychological of having someone right in front of you, you would break your, you know, you, you'd go that extra push. That, that, I'm talking about the push. By the time you cross the finish line, you collapse on the ground because you yeah. can't even keep your, you can't even hold yourself up anymore. I remember I had a buddy in, when I was doing cross country. Ugh, cross country. I'm yeah. becoming retarded right now. <laughs> but uh, every run, the finishing sprint, he would throw up. Just from the pure exertion yeah. that he would put out. I did that a lot. Yeah. I'm like, man, this guy must really like running. Because, like, I mean, we yeah, would do no, it. Our, our coach would put us into it 
as a preseason conditioning yeah. because it would roll into the wrestling season. So we would do it. Remember, like we were like the worst cross country wrestlers uh, runners ever. Like, <laughs> and the coach seemed to know that, and he would do us. He would put us in sprints, not yeah. sprints. Um, sorry, stairs all the time. I'm like, this is not cross country training. Like, yeah. there's no reason to do stairs. Like, really, but we would do like 30 minute stair sessions. So it worked for wrestlers, you know. But uh, this one kid, he was just a runner, man. Like every time throwing up, I was like. That's some dedication. Like, he knows that every time he's got this hurl yeah. hard. But, yeah, like, you have to empty the tank, you know, even if you're in top. You know, I think for fighting, the visual should be, like, the guys, like, 10 feet behind you yeah. if you're winning. Because that's what it is. Any one hit and fight's yeah, everything over. Everything changes, yeah. It's a, like, even if you're winning four rounds and you're yeah. coasting to the fifth round, the guy is still just 10 feet behind you. He, st- he takes one step and throws a right hand and clocks it, you're done. Like, you don't have the same space where there's never a point where you're so far away from the guy that there's no chance you can win. There's always a chance in MMA or, or any striking art, really, that you can win, which is what makes it exciting. It makes it, the ga- it's more, yeah. it can be more of a gamble. Yeah. yeah. Especially more striking than grappling. In grappling, you have to make a series of mistakes to get caught. Yeah. Where striking takes one mistake. Yeah. That's one reason when I fought, I clinched right away. Oh, you have no hands. Actually, my hands weren't bad. I just, like, I'm looking at grass striking where it's like 50-50 and I look like grappling like I know if I grab this guy I'm going to finish him it's like it's it's an easy choice to make yeah it's just being economical really and, yeah, and smart being, like, I, I, I say like if we have the number one striker in the world versus the number two or let's say even the number 10 striker they're both going to get hit number one guy is going to get hit a bunch of times yeah. you know it's just that's what striking is about it's about getting hit and returning but you want to land a better shots you know counter but if you have like the number one grappler or the number ten grappler, the number one grappler is going to win, and he's not going to get hurt while doing yeah. it. You know what I mean? So like, the advantages are much bigger. You and know, you can afford to make mistakes on the ground. I feel like you have to. You to get caught, heel hook and guillotine probably the exceptions. There's some you know some yeah. get caught in something fast. But for the most part, you have to make a series of mistakes for for you to tap me. It's not one. It's a sequence, right? Yeah. So I I'm I think it's safer in that regard. For right? sure, it's so a gamble. But going back a little bit, just reminded me of something, and I love this story, but uh, it might be apocryphal. I don't know if it's true. Someone told me the story, but like apparently Dan Gable once gave an interview, and he said something to the extent of, I think his one of his daughters ran marathons or something, mm. and he was very proud of her because she had done something that he had never experienced in wrestling, where she was so exhausted in the marathon, right? She had pushed herself so hard, she couldn't stand up. Mm. She was like, she collapsed on the ground. She could, and I've seen that. I saw it on TV. I saw like a triathlete. She would like she lost coordination of her legs, and she was collapsed, and she'd fall, and she'd get back up, and she'd fall again. Oh wow! And she just wouldn't quit. You know, she just kept like she's crawling now. She's trying to get back. And I look at that and I go, "That's pretty badass, man. Like it's so cool." And then Dan Gable said something. And once again, don't quote me. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly, but it's still a great story. And he goes like he was envious of his own daughter because no matter how hard he pushed himself in wrestling. He had never pushed himself to that point where he couldn't stand up anymore. Isn't that cool? For Dan Gable, that's a big endorsement. I mean, I've heard Dan Gable used to like mow the lawn with like weights on his body. Yeah, he was 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 an animal. Yeah, he he's like a legend in wrestling because he had set the that precedent where you have to be carried off the mat is the goal of training. That you want to be that exhausted. I think in retrospect that was probably too hardcore. 
I Dude, think it's unscientific. At this point in the 21st century, it's unscientific. Yeah, I, it's not, it doesn't the, the data backs up rest as an important component correct. of performance. Yeah, yeah, and I think he was probably overtraining more than he should have. It's still beautiful, though, isn't it? It is still amazing, though. Yeah, yeah. because it, what it is is shows the power of their will, right? Yeah. Which is like we've talked about this before. You have to flex that every so often, right? You yeah. got to see how tough you are, and if you never and training is the best place to do that because the consequences are less severe like i tell people you don't want to prove you're super tough in a fight especially every time you fight because that's a a muscle not really a muscle but those are uh strikes that you don't get back you know i, I again I, I had listened to joe rogan and firhas uh, sahabi and they had this thing where they were saying that essentially you have a punch ticket with the amount of hits that you can take over your career you know, and, it's, and you don't want those hits to be adding up in training. I mean, because they were talking about training smart. You know, uh, I see it the same way of fighting. I see some guys that they just go to brawl, like, and they could win the fight easy on the ground, like you said. But like, there's a pride thing. Oh, we're gonna brawl. Yeah. And like, you're taking those extra shots that you're not gonna get back. You know what I mean? Like, toughness is yeah. the, the, it's a thin line between being tough and stupid. Yeah, yeah. Now. You know, like, I, but I admire like going back to Dengue. Like, I, I even though I think it's unscientific and counterproductive. I admire the will. So to me, it's such a fascinating topic. I remember that you guys, I'm sure you maybe heard the story of Paul Lemiel when he broke a tooth in practice. You ever hear that story? I think you've told me once before, yeah, but so, uh, you can refresh the memory. Okay, I, I mean, a lot of people just know this story, and I love this story. I think it was like 15, 16. So it would have been like 10 years ago. He you know, broke his tooth in practice, right? So he goes, you know, puts it down, keeps rolling, right? And I might be missing some details, okay? So forgive me if I'm not telling the story, you know, exactly how it happened, but just a bit you'll get. And then he goes like this. He goes, you know, I'll keep rolling. And then a dentist walks up to him after practice and goes, he goes on the mats and goes like, hey, man, come over to my, my office. Like, like, I'll take care of you for free. Just come over and I'll, I'll fix your tooth for you. Paul goes, oh, thank you so much. It's very nice of you. And a few seconds later, he goes, well, how many days do I have to take off? Up three days off. He's like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> right? He's still walking around without a tooth. Check him out. Like, yeah, he's yeah, missing a tooth. Yeah. He won't take three days off. When he won ACB, he won nine rounds with a broken foot. That was three three-minute rounds. You know, he broke his foot in the first round. Yeah. Uh, uh, Keishinho. Osvaldo Keishinho broke his foot with a steamer lock. Broke his foot. Mm. Right? I mean, those are hard to tap. They, with yeah, the foot they're, they're notorious. But they, he actually broke his foot. He couldn't walk. He won nine rounds with a broken foot, limping. He was limping on the mats. That's ridiculous. I went to Brawl. I walked up to Brawl. They go, like, we're going to fuck with this kid. Because we knew how crazy he is, you know. So we walked up to him, and like after after tournament, like he's in the locker room changing. And I walked up to him, you know, and we go, "Hey, man, oh, me and Brawley are gonna train tomorrow, seven a.m. Are you down?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure. What, where, where?" Like he wasn't joking. We were joking, but he wasn't joking. Yeah, he yeah. was down to train the next morning, seven a.m. He just won. I don't even know how much money. Won nine rounds with broken foot, and he was down to train seven a.m. To me, that's a level of insanity. And I like training. Don't get me wrong. I like pushing myself, but. That right there is something I admire so much. It's borderline insane. Actually, I think, it's, I think it's, it's, it is insane. I think like, it is it's, insane. It's yeah. past that line. I think it's, uh, again, short-term thinking, right? I found myself doing similar stuff, although not to that extent, where training injured or competing injured. Uh, I think it was like 2002, 2003. I had competed like in 40 or so matches in a span of like six months. 
just taking any super fight I can get, any any absolute division, can compete, compete, compete everywhere. I had pop knees, pop ankles, shoulders messed up, and I just like push through it, push through it, push through it. But I felt like I had to chase every opportunity that was presented. Like, yeah. oh, someone offers it, okay, take it. Yeah. And then at some point, I'm like, man, if I keep taking these, there's gonna be nothing left of me. Yeah. And I was like, I gotta stop. You know, like, took like three, four months off, healed up. Okay. You know what? Those opportunities will, will they'll be there. You know, sometimes you miss something and it never comes back. But like, there's a price to taking it that you might never recover from. That's where a good coach comes in and yeah. tells you, "Hey, man, like you're actually doing more harm than good." But I, even if it's detrimental to your performance, I cannot stop myself from applauding the behavior because we're living in a time where everyone wants to talk about being yeah. a badass. Everyone wants to be the bad, the big dick in the room. Everyone wants to be a badass. Everyone wants to. You know, they, they want the reward, but are you willing to be missing a tooth through your best dating years, right? From your 16 to 26, you're missing a tooth because you don't care about the fact that women may find you less attractive. You, you know, you look like, you know, like some fucking redneck missing a tooth. Like, he doesn't care. The yeah. fact, he doesn't care. He's just so much more worried about performance. He's so much more concerned with bettering himself. He will not take three days off. Yeah. Like most, like, and then they contrast that with like some of these guys take three months off in Hawaii after a fight, man. Like, even if you can be a UFC champion, I'm never going to admire the same degree that I admire calling me out. But even though I, I would never, I wouldn't recommend that and I wouldn't do it myself, I would have yeah. gotten my teeth fixed. I have a similar story though, not quite that extreme. But I have this, this dent on my chest. I, I did pectoris scavatum. I don't, I never bothered looking into it. Yeah. When I was like 16, 17, I just got into jiu-jitsu. My mom took me to a doctor. And the technology now has improved. It's a lot better. By the time, you know, it was it was a more complicated procedure to fix it. You know, it was plastic surgery, but you have to mess with your, your whole okay, structural yeah. skeleton. I, I don't even know what they do, but you went to the doctor. doctor said he could fix it. And I go, okay, whatever. You know, it didn't bother me that much. Um, I guess it bothered me when I was younger because I got teased a lot. But I, when I was 16, I kind of didn't give a shit more. Uh, and then... I asked him, so how much time off? He said, oh, about a year. I take a year off. And I'm like, no. I was already into jujitsu. I'm like, that's way too long. You know, I mean, three days, yeah, I would have done that. But like one year, no way. But, you know, in my, because I remember now, you know, recalling it when I was 16, 17, jujitsu already was way more important to me than how I looked. Yeah. Right. So now looking back, I'm very proud. There's a part of me that wish I maybe I should have fixed it, you know, but it's a part of me I'm very proud of that because, you know, like, man, like I clearly, I know what I prioritize in my life, you know? And I think a lot of people, when it comes to performance, they prioritize the wrong, the wrong things. Even though they talk about performance, they talk about reward and, you know, achieving. It all comes down to these decisions. How much does it mean to you? How much do you care? Because when it means that much to you, like, Paul, I, mean, I want to take three days off. He doesn't care. He's walking around without a tooth, right? That explains why he's a champion. Like when Dan Gable, yeah. like you know, he like he doesn't say stuff like that. It's it, it explains why he's great. And, and you know, I'm not comparing myself to these guys, but yeah, I think there's there's like it's like the the the, the it's I admire that sort of uh, resolution determination to achieve. Absolutely, I think uh, everybody does. You know, uh, like in the case of the Yaos and whatnot, they're they probably have a, a goal that's in the short term. So like you said, they're willing to sacrifice everything, body, limb, what have you, to achieve that. And the time span for it is finite. So whenever you have that, you have to be willing to sacrifice more for it. You know, now what happens after, who knows? You know, like 
maybe his foot gets hobbled and he's got bad teeth or whatever the case is. So I guess you just have to be clear of what your long-term goals are in your life, you know. But for sure, anybody who does something of greatness has, a like I said, the touch of madness, you know. Like other people think you're crazy. They don't understand why you're so driven to do something. Yeah. But like I get people who who write me and say like, oh, you know, I want to become a pro athlete, but I work this, I work a job. How do I do it? I'm like, there's no perfect time to get started with chasing a dream. Yeah. It's just now. It's like, if, if you're not willing to risk something to get it, you're probably not cut out for it because anybody I've known that has done something amazing had to risk a lot. And, and it's a lot. And, yeah. and the scary thing is, there's, there's no, no, there's no reward. There's no reward. Yeah, some million things could happen along the way. And I think that I don't. When my dad wanted me to get a normal job and stop playing Karate Kid, quote yeah. unquote, um, I understand where he was coming from. Like, I don't think he's wrong. Yeah. My daughter said something like, which to me would sound as outlandish as me trained jujitsu sounded to my father. I probably would have given her advice of like, yeah, just get a normal career. Like, don't do. Don't shoot for the stars, you know. Like, but like, not everyone is going to be rewarded. So yeah. it's it's a uh, a long shot. But it starts there, right? Because everybody essentially has to be willing to risk that. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with people who have, you know, these big ambitions, particularly in sports, is that they think that there is a perfect way of getting into it. Like, oh, okay, I'll have this money saved up, so I don't have to worry about this, and then I have that. And like, dude, yeah. that never happens. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> it's like the, the tattoo fairy. Like you keep dreaming about getting the tattoo. Where well, I'm gonna get the tattoo. I'm gonna get the tattoo. Like yeah, you're waiting for the tattoo fairy <laughs> to come along and tell you when's the perfect moment to get that tattoo. Versus yeah, in fights, the same thing. It's like you know you're waiting for that perfect ideal moment to get started or achieve your dreams. It's like man, it's right now. Yeah. Every second that goes by, you're a, a second further away from your dream, man. We we have we have a short life. Yeah, short time on this earth. And you don't know how you, much time you got either. Live your dreams, man. Don't 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 be in the don't get sucked into the, you know, the, 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 the doing what you don't love to do because, you know, life is short, you know. Dave, um, I have to go. I have a bit of a case. I got to be somewhere. We're in a little no late, worries, actually. yeah. And so I have to cut a little bit short today, guys. That is entirely my fault. But uh, hope you guys enjoy. I always enjoy our talks, man. It's very organic with me and Dave. We, we start, like, we decide like, about 30 seconds before the show, <laughs> sure. before we start recording, like, what we're going to talk about. We thought about, oh, cross-training between sports, and then, boom, you know, we go into the rabbit holes. And, yeah, I, I, I always enjoy these talks. Yeah, man, likewise. You know, like, we never know where we're going to end up. <laughs> yeah, all over the place, for sure. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for uh, listening, watching, and uh, see you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. As always, make sure you subscribe to our channels, like, follow, yada, 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 right? Now, if uh, you haven't already, we would love to hear back from you. So if you've been watching for a while, but you haven't left any comments or, or anything like that, go ahead and do so because we'd be really interested to hear your feedback on the show, what you like, what you don't like, what you would like to see more of. And also, if you guys have topics that you would like to cover, just uh, send them to our way so that we can talk about those things. You might not notice, but <laughs> me and Rob just come up with a lot of these topics just a few minutes before the show starts, and then we just start moving along our conversation. But uh, if you want to have something in particular covered, whether it's an event or a problem you're facing, we'd be more than happy to uh, talk about it. So go ahead and write us in, and we would mention it on the show. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one. A final word. 
from one of our sponsors, which is the Front Headlock series. The Front Headlock series is a course of mine that really, if you don't like wrestling, and particularly most people, when they don't like wrestling, what they really mean is they don't like getting shooting and then getting sprawled on and then smashed and they have bad knees and they don't want to shoot. I get it. You know, I just had knee surgery a year ago, so I'm not too keen of shooting these days. But the front headlock is an excellent way of forgetting about having to shoot because it's more of a, well, it can be used as a great counter to shots. Whenever someone shoots, you can set up a front headlock, but you can also set it up without that. And it gives you a wide variety of takedowns from knee picks, cradles, uh, chancellors. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do from a front headlock, not, not to mention a lot of submission holes as well with guillotines, anacondas, darts chokes, uh, ten-finger guillotines. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do there. So in this course, I cover all of that. I cover the setups I use uh, for both MMA and grappling, uh, takedowns, advanced takedowns, and then finishes, and then uh, back takes from the front headlock. So it's a really overall complete course, a three DVD set, also available online. And you can get that at frontheadlock.com. Again, that is frontheadlock.com. And we will be offering some specials uh, during the holiday season here. So you will wanna make sure you get them then. The, I think there might be as low as uh, 40% off. So you'll definitely wanna make sure to check it out. Uh, is at frontheadlock.com.